Welcome to Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Linemiller, your host. Excited for another episode of our podcast and videocast, honestly. I want to start out by thanking our sponsor, Farm to Plate. They are developing tomorrow's food supply ecosystem today. You can find out more about them at farmtoplate.io. And they are bringing you excellent guests with such great experience like our guest today. Rosan Simoni is the General Counsel North America for Kafka International. He lives and works in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Rosan. Hello, Pam. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm so excited to bring your, you have a wealth of information and experience in the food industry, but you're a little bit different than some of the guests that we've had before. If you could share a little bit about, we haven't had a, a general counsel on, a lawyer on our podcast before, and I'm excited to bring your perspective. Can you share a little bit about what you do for Kafka International? Sure. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm so excited to be speaking to your audience today about uh, the intersection of agriculture, law, uh, food, geopolitics, and everything else in between. So, um, uh, indeed, I, I, I'm excited that I'm one of, you know, a lawyer on your podcast. You don't typically invite lawyers, I understand. So this is, uh, this is great. Well, we play a role as well in, in the food supply chain. Uh, you know, we're a tiny little bit, you know, of, of a piece, you know, in the, in, in the machine, in the larger machine of agriculture globally, but we play an, an important role and a vital role in moving product um, from one part of the world to the other. So as, as such, I am general counsel for North uh, for the North American region, responsible for all legal affairs of the company North America. I work for a, a global commodity trading company called Kafka International, which is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. It's North American headquarters is here in Chicago. We trade, we process, we store, and we transport ag commodities such as uh, grains and oil seeds, um, sugar, cotton, coffee, and ethanol around the globe. 37 countries, uh, 127 million tons of commodities moved globally by us. We are, when when you, when Kafka International is a newcomer in the marketplace uh, about six years ago, uh, twin acquisitions. But think, when you think of Kafka International, you think of uh, a quintessential American companies such as Cargill, uh, Bungie, um, uh, ADM. Uh, so if you think of them, you think of Kafka International as well. And we are about 53.3 billion dollars in revenue in 2022. So we employ uh, just shy of 12,000 people. We have people from 64 nationalities and 37 countries. It's touching six continents. So. And my my region that I cover is the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, and that's that's a big market. I know you have worldwide footprint, as you just said. I'm excited about the perspective that gives you because of the volumes of business that your company does worldwide. And uh, you you have that. You mentioned just your practice really touches everything that happens within the company. You just need to make sure that regulations are being met globally while you can speak to, to all the things that you do. But there's there's a lot of compliance, regulations, and overseeing agreements 
what kinds of things do you get involved in as legal counsel? Anything and everything, uh, the, the, as the title suggests, general counsel. General. So we're a we're a jack of all trades. Uh, so think of contracts, real estate, acquisition, disposition, litigation, arbitration, regulatory uh, um, compliance, asset compliance, um, uh, uh, immigration, moving people from one part of the world. I've moved traders from right. Singapore to the US, uh, from the US to Switzerland, Switzerland back to the US, US to Canada, Canada to the US, et cetera. So, uh, so uh, you know, really, truly, uh, you know, we get, and also we get involved in, you know, in strategy, uh, you know, I'm a member of the, uh, the management team for the North American operations. So, uh, you know, you are involved in, you know, in providing input and strategy, business relationships, business development and, and, and alike. So that's also part of our day to day jobs, in addition to other more what, what I would call it more less glamorous parts of the job, which is budgeting, uh, hiring outside counsel, <laughs> hiring and, 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 you know, uh, new employees, et, et cetera. So uh, that's, uh, you know, that's a gamut of things that we do on a day to day basis. Yeah, well, let's jump in on some of the current events, because I know you have to help the company react to what's happening. You you mentioned political climates and, and what's happening across the world. So right now we are in late summer of 2023, for depending on when people are listening to us. So we're uh, at the very end of August of 2023. What What's happening right now that you're having to work through and and do some strategizing around? Well, sure. So it's the crop season, right? So uh, I recently uh, went uh, on a crop tour up out in uh, North Dakota, and uh, I attached myself next to the our chief scientist and uh, uh, who is a chief agronomist, really. And, and, and so we call him a scientist, which he is. And we go out there and we check out the crops, how they're looking, how are they coming come online, uh, are we going to have a shortage? Are we gonna, not going to have a shortage? You know, how's corn is looking? How soybeans are looking? You know, where are they coming? What part of the country? Because depending on that information, which we aggregate, we collect, we, and, and we we provide it to our traders, and we create a sort of a global strategy for trading. But what's interesting also, it plays into the sort of the whole uh, uh, output of crops globally, right? So let's say, you know, how much, you know, are there going to be record crops in Brazil like they were this year, uh, the following year, what, what's going to happen with, you know, uh, the trade, you know, the, the war in Ukraine, whether product that's been stuck in Ukraine is going to find its way out of Ukraine, how's it going to affect global supply and demand? And, you know, and then that has ramifications down the road uh, and, you know, and down the chain, actually in terms of feeding people uh, because some of the hardest hit areas from not receiving grain and wheat spe specifically from Ukraine are, you know, some of the countries out in, in Africa and the Middle East, which are some of, uh, you know, obviously the poorest countries. And so that all uh, plays into the larger role, which has, you know, when I took on this job, I didn't fully appreciate the value of the agriculture. I did. My my grandparents, both both my from both my mom and dad's side, came from from the countryside. So I I understood it as a as an important aspect of economy, but I didn't really appreciate the entire you know chain reaction it has globally and and not just locally. And so 
it's it was so eye-opening to see you know to go out and in, in, in Fargo and, and the surrounding uh, the surrounding area and see that we are actually really a truly blessed country we have plenty of food supply uh, we can feed ourselves in the world we actually have a, tra uh, a trade uh, agricultural a product a trade a positive balance with the world we trade more than we, we bring in we feed our American farmer feeds about 166 families globally, including the U.S. a year. So, uh, so we have we are really truly blessed with abundance of, uh, of food supply, which actually is, it's in, in and of itself is is a national security interest, obviously, because we we are safe, and we can produce, we can, we're self sustainable, and we can, and then we can also help the world. Well, that is good to hear. So your crop tour, your your tour was in, I think you mentioned Fargo. Yes. So that's in the in, surrounding um, areas in, in North Dakota. In North Dakota, here in the United States. And really what's going on with the international and the war that you mentioned, uh, that does affect the American farmer as well as you're trying to think about supply and demand and how you're going to provide your customers with the products that they need, right? It's good to hear that we export more than we, uh, we produce more than we need here. Yes, we do. And, and, and actually, yeah. And, and that's really a blessing for the American economy. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the, we, the ag business, so to speak, or the ag output in a country provides about close to 5% of total GDP, uh, of the United States, uh, ag and ag related uh, industries right so you talk of food and beverage uh, textiles apparel uh, uh, you know leather industry other so there is a, a down downward reaction you know down downward chain reaction to to ag products right and so really truly blessed we have two lovely neighbors in canada and mexico so they're, they're peaceful uh they're uh, they also produce in abundance so we can trade with each other we are, you know, we are, we have the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the other side. So we 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 cannot easily be invaded by 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 uh, an, an unfriendly country. Uh, so, and we've got natural resources, right? So when we think of navigable waters, for example, I didn't appreciate the importance of the ability to carry product from Iowa, Illinois, Missouri downstream all the way to the Gulf of Mexico by barge the navigable rivers which there are plenty in the u.s and then load them up on a vessel and send them for 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 export globally all over the world right. and so it, it's just we're truly a blessed country the farm the our u.s farmer is productive is efficient is highly making mechanized and it's you know 98 percent what, what i find is what i found interesting is 98 percent of the uh operating farms in the u.s are 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 by operating operated by families so oh. we've got about two million farms in the united states so uh that's like a, a fabulous you know sort of statistics to, when you think about it it has so many different meanings to it but it's actually the american farmer owns its own land it, it produces its own product it sells it there's demand for it the war geopolitically speaking affects that in the sense that if hard red winter wheat which is the most common variety known in the u.s which is produced about 15 percent of the global output is produced out in, in ukraine is not coming out of ukraine 
then there's an opportunity for the U.S. farmer to fill in that void, hopefully with the crops being, you know, uh, the weather, you know, in, you know, God and, and, and nature and yes. weather conditions uh, collaborating uh, that they can fill a void. And obviously there are other countries like Brazil and other places that can also fill a void as well. But yes. Well, thank you for bringing that perspective, because I don't think most of us think about our food security here in the United States being a national security interest. You know, you have to have that global perspective to really appreciate what you're saying. And I think some of us came to appreciate uh, the fact that the food industry is so important to everyone. Everyone eats. But during our recent pandemic, which really affected, you know, how we were moving food and and the food industry needed to keep operating during that time when so many other businesses the majority of things the majority of of different verticals of business shut down food production did not shut down and i think um, that's an important service and you know commodity that you're providing absolutely and and uh, that's when i had my aha moment actually when i realized that i was actually practicing law but I was marrying the practice of law with an important mission, which is I was part of this industry, which was an essential industry, was moving forward every day, was working every day when everybody else perhaps were, were a lot of people were not, or were working remote. We had people on the ground, our grain elevators are up and running. And we had, uh, and there were those workers out there, they were my heroes. They, they were working day and night, we had multiple shifts working at the facilities, moving grain from one part of the world, you know, helping move it from one part of the world to the other. And so, you know, so that people ultimately all around the globe, not just the U.S., uh, would have, uh, you know, bread and, and, and related products on, 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 in a cereals on, 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 their, on their table. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great moment for me. Actually, I just realized, I was like, wow, I actually... Our mission is to feed the world, and which is actually Kafka's mission is to feed the world in a responsible way. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and so it it certainly I I felt it, and I it was I was it was a, it was a good moment for me. I actually I felt like I was doing something meaningful besides just yes you know <laughs> reviewing contracts or dis, or you know handling disputes. Exactly, you were doing some of the necessary work to enable your company and companies like your company to do the good work that they do to get the food to the people. So that's really important. Let's go back to, if you don't mind, you're you're speaking about the farmer and really agriculture in general, um, the food industry. You know, there's a lot of technology that's coming to light, and traditionally, agriculture has been pretty old school. You talked about both your parents being, you know, out outside of a city environment and, uh, you know, growing up with farmers around. And, and of course, they are the backbone of our food system as far as the food that gets produced. But do you think that technology, uh, there are technologies that can really be helpful? And what are you seeing in the food business? Actually, uh, by the way, you, you led uh, you led with a great uh, the great statement. It, it is an old school industry, obviously, for all uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, 
And, and I'm still blown away by the fact that in our industry, a lot of times we have agreements by a shake of hand That's between a farmer and, and, and a company like ours, where we buy and sell, uh, you know, either store their product or, and, or buy their product from them. And it's sometimes it's a shake of hand. So, and uh, one time I remember, you know, sort of like, I, I wasn't necessarily ready to scream, but I was, but I, but I was it, to one of my children, I said, how can you do this deal without an actual agreement in place? What if tomorrow's, you know, something happens? Like, we, how how are we going to document this? So it was like, oh, no, 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 he's, he's going to deliver. Everything is going to be okay. Shortly, you know, lo and behold, the, the farmer certainly uh, delivered on time and, 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 you know, and everything went okay. So, it, you know, I was blown away by it. But your legal brain was saying, wait, we need a contract that is signature. It's kind of counter to what yes. you are doing. Exactly. So, yes. But on the other hand, the industry is changing in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way in the sense of modernizing itself from a, from a documentation standpoint. Uh, for example, to give you an example, uh, recently we're part of an, this uh, 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 National Grain Feed Association led initiative to um, to to develop this plat you know blockchain like platform where everybody signs up on on the barge trading side, which uh, uh, counterparties exchange documents in real time. They sign up, they upload all the documents on the, in the system. They're all PDFs, and you know typically in this transaction they require original documents. So. And and then and it requires that you you know you mail the original. So you receive the original, you sign them, you mail, you know, you you know, you get the documents in a in a in a in a next day delivery, and then you know, you FedEx them. And so there's so much paper, there's so much inefficiencies built around this process. So by building this platform now, everybody has signed on, most of the people have signed on, you know, most of the key players have signed on. And folks can exchange documents in real time. It reduces errors. Everything is out there. It reduces disputes. Uh, it increases efficiencies, makes transactions faster. So we're seeing uh, projects like these that are extending to various, uh, you know, uh, uh, platforms to help our industry sort of become a little bit more efficient on the on the documentation front, so we can right. speed up the process. We are. Um, um, and, you know, there are other other ways that we are looking to, you know, other ways besides the documentation side, you know, there's predictive analysis, there's a, there's a, a new crop of, of, of companies coming online, they're like ag tech companies that are, you know, involved in predictive analysis where they hire these very, you know, they build a software system and they collect the data, they input the data in there and they look into what, what will the crops look like, you know, you know, in, in, you know, in a month or two or three. And then based on that, uh, you know, predictive analysis, they can sort of like decide, you know, how to obviously the entire trading strategies behind, you know, how, you know, the, supply and demand right mm -hmm. so where are the crops coming from what part of the country what's going to be more in demand are the crops going to be you know tanking this year in this part of the world or not and so depending on that's you see a number of uh you know a, a push in that in that's in, in that side of the world to 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 you know to sort of like uh, modernize our industry in ways that there are comparable to other industries so it's moving at a high as you know number of companies uh um, uh, when I was in private practice before I did Kafka, I helped the 
company that was owned by Monsanto. Monsanto invested in us, an early startup predictive analysis startup company, and then uh, later on they acquired the entire the entire of the company hundred uh, percent. So they have an investment arm, which is now Bayer. Uh, you know where they would go and, and you know invest in these you know uh, ag tech sure. startups. And so there is a whole ag tech community you know that's a, a, alive and well and it's doing really well. It's active. And it's yes. and it's quite a blossom, so to speak. So it's quite interesting to, to you know. And of course, you're talking about you know uh, sustainability and other you know other initiatives that are you know kind of forefront that also requires a tracing and you know and 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 the like to to figure out you know where the product is coming from, how you know how it's you know was it you know it was sustainable methods were used and how and what and you know and, and sort of trace the product all the way from the beginning to the end of the, of the food cycle so so that's quite interesting and that's those are the some of the new developments that are happening in the, in the technology space yeah there's i think lots of opportunity as you were saying that that old school term and the handshake without the contracts and and the way paperwork has been done with that manual process that there's digitization available and you may not be aware that our the sponsor of this podcast has several applications within the food supply chain using blockchain and some analysis to help the farmers do better we want that uh show that transparency that you were talking about there there's a lot of opportunity there for the food industry to build on what it already has and take advantage of the technology that's coming to light so it's it's great to have your perspective and some of the the gains that you've seen your practical example about the barge documentation it's just going to help everyone be more accountable. You're you're not going to have as much food loss, you know, pilferage or whatever might be happening there because you're you're following it all the way along and you can figure out where things went wrong or if there's a food recall, tracking that back. There's just some great advantages to having some technology. And not only that, from your legal perspective, then you do have a paper trail for yes. for when you do when so you much have easier. disputes. <laughs> and actually, have, yeah. And actually, it reduces the number of disputes by having everything on paper and by, sure. by having it transparent and in real time and the party seeing it in real time. And believe it or not, it, it's reduced the you know the the the, the dispute uh, rate by quite a bit uh, by virtue of the fact that everything is up there. Uh, people double check it a little bit more often. It, it's not getting lost and it's all in the system and it's not subject to dispute. So it's actually, it's 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 actually, it makes our life easier. It makes everybody's life easier in fact. Yeah, and, that's, and that's great to hear. And it's also sustainable, right? So you're not cutting as many trees by moving paper. You're not, you're not uh, mailing, you know, two pieces of documents in a FedEx for next day delivery, obviously, and you're, you know, reducing expenses. So it's sustainable in another, in so many other, you know, uh, ways as well. Great point. And speaking of sustainability, I think we as consumers, uh, that's a topic that we're very interested in. I know Kafka International has sustainability initiatives and possibly providing organic options and i don't know if you want to speak to that uh what's happening with in that area sure actually we are um um we're a leader in 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 the sustainability space in in although we're a private company right we don't have any sort of like a public company disclosure requirement you know requiring our esg and, and alike um 
uh, as a private company, it, it's our own initiative. And what we've done is a couple of things that are actually very interesting. I'll speak to one for specifically, which is we have uh, we've gotten a couple of different sustainability linked loans in, in total value of $2.3 billion for a conglomerate of banks globally, about, I want to say, over 20 banks uh, from Singapore, Asia, other parts of Asia to uh, the U.S. and, and, and Europe. Uh, where it, what in essence these loans are reduced interest rates in exchange for us meeting certain sustainability targets, oh. right? Metrics, which are pre-agreed up front and which are measured by a third-party independent third-party evaluator. Uh, and so, and, and what happens is if we meet these targets annually, our interest rate gets reduced um, by another half percent or percentage point, depending on the on the targets we're, we're meeting in a nutshell. And what we're doing is we're taking all those savings from the reduction in interest rate, we're reinvesting it in sustainability initiatives. So we're not keeping it for our bottom line, we're actually utilizing it. So let's think of you know, a coffee farmer out in Colombia, right? So we take that money, and we help them, uh, you know, develop additional sustainable farming tools. So we go out there and we help them develop new ways to how to, you know, sustainably farm, you know, and and you know, coffee, right? So that that's another way to do it. And you know, uh, soy and you know, and um, um, palm oil and and others in in Brazil and other parts of the, of, of the world. So. Um, this we are kind of a leader in that. We're the second largest company in, in the ag space that has, has, has done it, and, and our loans are are the one of two one of the two largest loans, sustainably linked loans in in the world actually at the moment. And it's very much a trend now, and we are very much a trendsetter in that sense. So um, that's something that we are, you know we're contributing because the idea is to also. We're part of our communities wherever we operate, and you know, so we want to, you know, obviously contribute in ways more than just employment or paying taxes and all like, but also in finding other ways we can contribute, in, you know, from a social social uh, responsibility and, and governance perspective. Yeah, and that's great to hear. I also saw on your website that you have your own sustainability report that you put out just about all these topics. So I. Uh, you know, definitely a leader. I think one of the things that we like to think about when we bring guests on our podcast is that they're going to hear ideas that maybe they can apply to their company or their area of the food industry. And certainly you're leading the way in the sustainability. So we're excited. Thank you for sharing all those details, because I think it's just encouraging to other company uh, influencers that might be listening to our podcast. No, thank you very much for the opportunity. And, you know, and obviously we've embraced it. And, and as I mentioned, our mission is to feed the world in a responsible way. And, and I think that's the, the way moving forward generally as a concept, as a principle. I think the entire world now embraces. I mean, it's amazing, right? When you go to the, to the at least for, for me, it is amazing. When you go to the grocery store, you find, you know, in like uh, it's organic, uh, you know, uh, section is, is so busy right like everybody's is 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 veering in in in, in that direction and, and everybody wants organic and sort of like there's a lot of discussion about sustainability or you know and just ultimately what leads to you know a better health choices and ultimately you know a, a healthier society as a, as a as a general principle 
Yeah, I, I also think, I mean, it's it's kind of at, not at the beginning, it's been going on a long time, but I guess relatively speaking, you know, it's hard to know what the best things are, uh, where you're going to get your biggest return on investment in the sustainability area. And so from your legal perspective, like how do you contract for that? You know, is that realistic to try to cook in sustainability into agreements or, you know, what have you seen happening? That's actually a, a great question coming from a non-lawyer. And, and uh, you know, it's a hot topic, uh, actually, because a lot of companies now are sort of like making ESG part of this platform. Like, so you want to do business with us? Just say uh, you need to sign on onto our code of conduct, and you need to sign on onto our social responsibility code of conduct, and you need to sign us sign on to our guidelines for how you know you do something sustainable. And and you know, frankly, one of the things that I struggle with is this is these are noble, certainly noble requests, right? And so the noble, it's 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 great. I mean, that's what we should strive for. But it's so hard to do that in a supply chain world where there are multiple players, there are multiple parties and multiple jurisdictions. So how do you make sure that you comply with it? And how do you enforce it? And and if in and if you get called out as a default on a contract because you didn't follow X, Y, or Z under that myriad of guidelines that they throw at you, what happens? Like, how are you going to enforce it? And I'm just always curious, actually, if we go in front of a judge, how it's going to end up? How a judge will, how will a judge rule? And, you know, it's it's certainly difficult. I I, I think we, we've tried to come up with clever ways to address issues such as, for example, I give you a simple question, but instead of me saying, hey, I'm going to comply with everything that you have in your own code of conduct, I will say, I have my own code of conduct. Here's a copy of it. Here's your that's your code of conduct. Let's acknowledge each other's code of conduct. Let's try to work towards. And they're substantially similar with some, you know, minor deviances here and there. Uh, but they're largely in the same boat. So, you know, th that's one way to to address it. And then the other times is sort of like see what's realistic and what's not. Because frankly, sometimes, you know, if you're asking me, you know, to, you know, well. Do some to deal out in Egypt, and I don't have manpower, you know, I, on, on the ground, right? But we have a thin, you know, a thin staff, uh, you know. How do we manage that? So we just have to address it and talk to them about what is it that we can do to sort of mitigate that, you know, and, yeah. and a couple of terms. But it's, certainly, it's a hot topic in the in the legal world in terms of uh, enforceability, and you know, and European Union has taken a as a, a, an aggressive lead on ESG and sort of like, you know, issuing guidelines. But what we're seeing is a lot of companies on the EU now are saying, we want to be, you know, we want to strive for excellence, but what you're asking us is actually going to bury us. And so we're seeing a lot of pushback and perhaps there's going to be a little bit of a dial back uh, in, in, in the European Union regarding these aggressive regulatory framework that they have pushed to sort of comply, which is, I think, to be honest, it's noble and it's great, but it's difficult from a business perspective. So I think we're blessed a little bit in the U.S. We'll have a little bit more uh, more of a reasonable approach generally to sort of like the regulatory framework, although it remains to be seen how that will flesh out in the future. That's true. I, and reasoned response was actually absolutely how I was going to describe what you just said, because I think, you know, sometimes the aspirations are really great and they they sound so good, but the reality is that 
you don't want as food companies to food companies uh, that you're making agreements with, you, you don't want to get into trying to police each other for these things. I really love your reasoned response of, okay, you have your code of conduct in this area and here's ours. And let's agree that we are each are pursuing what we can pursue within our company's own abilities at this moment. So I, I, I just think that's uh, good words for some of our guests that might be listening to is to, I don't know, they say worry about what's in your own little red wagon when I was little, instead of um, telling on your neighbor or your friend, you know, are you, are you telling or are you tattling kind of thing? Like, let's, let's take care of what's in our own little red wagon and let our friend take care of what's in their little red wagon. And we're both hopefully moving in the right direction. That's a very simplistic <laughs> summary, I think, of what you just said. Yes, <laughs> but it's a very that. good, it's a great summary. <laughs> that's actually a great summary. And I like it. Uh, and and sometimes that's what it takes to actually, when you are an in-house lawyer, actually you have to distill complex legal concepts in a very folksy way, because most of the people I deal with are on the ground, right? So I've got, you know, people that are the grain elevators. Uh, there are people on the farm, you know, on the farms, you know, working on the farms and on the fields. And there are people who just come from a particular background. And so... You know, uh, I, I left all the fancy stuff when I was at a law firm. And, you know, and now that I'm in house, I actually embrace the, you know, the simplistic way of the explanation, because that's frankly the only effective way to communicate when yes. you are part of an organization that's you're embedded in the business. You have to talk their language. You have to speak their way. You have to find their way. And that's why, you know, that's why I wanted to do a crop tour. I wanted to see from, with my own eyes and in my own hands sort of like what what it, what it is like you know what is it that they do how they do it, what is it that they look for and and so and i was actually fascinated by it and i met some great people i met some great people out in uh in in the in north dakota which which is a, you know it was my first time i've been to south dakota but it was a lovely part of our country i really enjoyed my trip out there yes and to your point we really want those farmers to keep farming i mean we we want to enable them to keep doing what what has been happening you said mostly family owned farms here in, in north america and we we want that to continue so i appreciate that you're interested in that because and and thank you so much for i know you could have talked a lot of legal ease today on this podcast with me but i really appreciate you bringing it to just understandable terms so that our general audience could understand where you're coming from and what the implications are kind of of the legal piece of the business it's a really important part that you are involved in and we're we're glad that you're sharing what you did with us, what we, what you're doing now with us and uh, i want to know before we go because we've talked about well a wide variety of topics but is there something that you would like to leave our audience with that we haven't talked about some either thought for the future or current encouragement uh, that you would like to share with us uh, you know, one thing that I I want to I want to say is uh, that it, it it doesn't matter where you are, what part of the country you are, but especially the people in the in either coast, the middle of the country is an important part of the country, and it's uh, you know it it provides jobs, opportunities, uh, growth for the GDP, the U.S. GDP. Uh, it's and uh, you know it provides food. Uh, and security, and it's an important aspect of our lives. So 
a lot of times, you know, I, I just, I just love traveling through the middle of the country, you know, and, 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 you know, and visiting different, you know, you know, farms and, and, and plants and facilities and, and, you know, and meet the people who are wonderful and amazing. And I, you know, what I want to leave it is we're very lucky to live in a, in a, in a country that's, that has an abundance of, of food supplies and, 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 you know, resources and, and, and we're really truly blessed to be where we're at geographically and we should just appreciate our lovely, wonderful country and should, you know, and should just never take it for granted. Great. Thank you for leaving those words with us. And Rosan, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. And I would like to also encourage our listeners and our viewers to subscribe, like, send us some comments. We want to hear your feedback and hear about what kind of guests you've enjoyed and what you'd like to see in the future. I'm Pam Line Miller, and we'll talk with you next time. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcasts is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. Thank <laughs> you.